Morning. Morning. You see me cringing and writhing in pains because I torqued my lower back out and having trouble standing up very long. So if I sit down behind the pulpit and you just hear my voice, that's what's going on. See, we got married. We had our old junkie Mustang. She had an old Mustang. It was terrible. They so much racing that thing. We never got the rice out of it. <laughs> Ten cans everywhere, you know. We, so we took off from the. Because they were mad because you didn't bring your. I didn't bring my good car. <laughs> I kept that in the garage, and we went right to right the the house and got my good car and took off on our honeymoon. <laughs> Can't fool me. Yeah. Get the shaving cream all, you know, dressing and all that stuff, you know. Ecclesiastes chapter number 8. Oh. I sent my good Bible off to get it rebound. I'd be anxious to get it back. There's all my notes in it and stuff, so I'm excited about that. Sorry, we cannot salvage your Bible probably. It's, it's really old. It's torn up. Yeah. Yeah. Too many years of scribbling in it, just whole books falling out. It's the new unabridged Bible. There's no <laughs> chapters falling out. No good. Don't need this page anymore. So we left off last week, I think. In were we here last week? Or was it was the week before last. We weren't here. We were here last week, yeah. weren't we? Yeah. 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 The smell. That's right. I remember that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, it's forever and better than my brain. No. We left off in verse 14. Um, we read 14. Let's read 14, and that'll kind of spring us into the next couple of verses here. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time, Lord, we can study your word, Father. Pray, God, you bless the, uh, almost said the offering, the uh, lesson, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless the offering, too. Okay, verse number 14. We were talking about... Uh, you know, all these problems we've been having in, in um, Ecclesiastes, divine providence, all this stuff. We've been going back and forth through his last few chapters. In, in verse 14, he says, There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth, according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth, according to the work of the righteous, I said, that, I said that this also is vanity. So the perplexity of life is what we're talking about here. We don't understand what's, what's going on here. And in verse 14, uh, retribution and reward is totally flip-flopped. You know, those that do good and do great don't get rewarded. They get persecuted. At the same time, those that are wicked and do bad things get promoted and get rewarded. So it's, it's totally, he saw that back then. You got to be here now, uh, so it's 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 an older problem. It isn't just now. It's it's always been that way. Verse fifteen. Then I commended mirth. Mirth is joy. I commended mirth because a man has no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be married. I mean, marry. <laughs> For that shall abide with him of his labor all the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. So the preacher's not trying to unravel this mystery of this retribution reward thing. He just, uh, uh, it's kind of a paradox. He doesn't understand it, but it happens. He sees it. 
and he's still concerned with life under the sun, but he commends joy or mirth. Uh, contentment. When you see in Ecclesiastes, eating and drinking, that's contentment. Okay, This is to be our, our encouragement through life. This is the best we can do under the sun. We're not talking about faith. We're talking about under the sun, remember? It's the best we can do. God gives us this life. We live it. It's the best we can do. Uh, eat, drink, be merry, be contented. Uh, and, and then in the next several verses here, he talks about uh, some more of this paradox of life. Verse 16, When I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is upon the earth, Parentheses, for also there is that neither day nor night see asleep with his eyes. I beheld all the work of God. Remember, in Ecclesiastes, the, the preacher's making all of these observations. We've seen many, many times where he's seen this, or he saw that, or he beheld this, and then he makes some comments on that. But he's witnessed some things, and he applied his heart to know wisdom. Verse, verse 16 is the one I just read, right? Right. And, and he didn't try to unravel everything, uh, but he applied his heart to know wisdom and to see the business, see what's going on in the world. And then parentheses, there's neither day nor night. Uh, see his sleep with his eyes. The progress of thought, back to verse number 2 in chapter 8, the overall puzzle or paradox of life, the preacher's journey was thorough. Hey, I applied my heart. I beheld. I saw. I witnessed some things. I might have even been a part of some things. Okay, I had experience, wisdom, and observations of the business upon the earth, and I applied my heart. I study this. I observe this. I ponder this. I try to figure this out. But he says again, Man's problems give him restless days and sleepless nights. Then I beheld, in verse 17, Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it, yea, farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. His conclusion in all this study and observation and pondering and uh, thinking is we must be content to not know everything. Right. Is that hard to do? Yes. Yeah. Be content to not understand everything. I don't understand gravity. Except when I'm on the scale, it increases. <laughs> um, I don't know how it does that. But I don't understand a lot of things, and I guess I'm going to have to be content to just not, not worry about it. That's, right. and that's what God wants. Just have faith. Just don't worry about it. But these folks that are really intent on wisdom try to understand everything, and it frustrates them because they can't grasp it because it's ungraspable. Is that a word? Ungraspable? You can't hang on to it. You can't find it out. Neither hard work or labor, a seeking, persistent endeavor, Wisdom, skill, or experience can unravel the mysteries. Can't figure everything out. So what do you do in that case? What do some folks do in that case? They make up stuff. 
they theorize. How did man get here? Well, I can't believe that God made us, so let's have a theory of, you know, we came from oh, an amoeba or something, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. And that's what they propagate and push, and people believe that, because they can't explain it. They can't trust that God did what God did. Right. Too much, had to be a big bang or something, men can't trust. They have to have a something tell them what, what happened. Uh, back in the year, they had the old gap theory. That's how they explained dinosaurs. The gap theory between, you know, verses 1 and 2 in Genesis. They, they had this gap where, you know, all these dinosaurs and cavemen ran around. Don't worry about that stuff. I personally, I can't prove it, neither is the Bible, but I think Noah saw dinosaurs. Did he put any of them on the ark? No. I bet he saw some back then. I don't know. Like to start a theory. Who knows? But um, he says, I, I considered all these things, and by these wise men that make all these claims to know, they're confounded. They don't know what's going on. They have to make a theory to explain the things that God's doing. Look at chapter 9 now, verse number 1. For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are where? They're in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. Again, he's deep thinking here. I considered in my heart. To declare all of this, you know, the righteous, the wise, and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before him. So I consider my heart is kind of similar to well now. You know, I kind of got a conclusion here. Well now, after all this study and observation, I, I came to this conclusion. Righteousness and wisdom do not have any built-in guarantees of an easy life. We don't know what waits before us, do we? Do we? No. And the answer is no. We don't know. what We know what we think is going to happen. We know what we hope is going to happen. We know what we're planning to happen. But we don't know what's going to happen, do we? We just don't know. That's out of our hands. Verse number two, all things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth, and to him that sacrificeth not, as it is good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. He's trying to cover all these people. We don't know what's going to happen. But this one thing, and we've seen it a few times here throughout our study, this one thing, what's the one thing that happens to all? Yeah. Death happens to all. This one thing, this one event happens to everybody. The righteous, the wicked, the good and clean, the unclean, uh, the him that sacrifices, him that doesn't, him that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, sweareth an oath, and him that doesn't. It happens to everybody. There's no separation there. So 
this opening phrase doesn't apply exclusively to death, but that's where it ends up at. That's what he's talking about. The righteous are not visibly favored by God's providence. And the wicked are not visibly rebuked by God's providence. They live on and they do what they do. And like I said last week, we, we want to see them. We, we want to see retribution sometimes, but we may not see that. That's right. It's not for us. God's going to deal with that. And, you know, we all, we all want to uh, see bad things happen to bad people. Well, shame on us, I guess, because that's not what may not happen. You know, who knows? Uh, there's wicked folks that get saved at the last minute. Did they still do the wicked things they did in their life? Yeah. Did God forgive them? Yeah. So, well, take our own lives. We've done things in our lives that, um, I know Pastor has for sure, because he talks about it all the time. Um, <laughs> did things back when he was a kid and stuff, you know, that... That boy, I mean, you know, he was going. And they got saved, you know. So that's, um, that happens. You know, we, we, can't, we can't say anything about that. Death comes indiscriminately to all. Okay. And he that sweareth, and he that feareth an oath, he that sweareth is one who swears by the Lord's name. Not using the Lord's name to swear, not what he's saying. He's talking about Deuteronomy 6.13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his name. Okay? He that feareth an oath refers to anyone who avoids, who avoids loyalty to the covenant, disobeys God. They don't want to submit to God. They, they don't want to make an oath to serve God. They, they don't want to fear God. Verse number 3 this is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event to all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. This same event we're talking about, this one event happens to all. And he says, the heart is full of evil. Madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. What's he talking about? Where's that at? Okay, Shoal. Back in the Old Testament, that's, that's the grave, right? Okay. So evil in its madness is a, what somebody here is like a moral wilderness that is um, uh, impulsive and senseless, this moral wilderness, madness. Um, uh, Connected to evil as madness or shallow silliness. In chapter 2, verse 3, he says, I said of my laughter, it is mad, and of mirth or joy, what doeth it? Uh, talking about corruption in society, madness, corruption in society. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. That's chapter 7, verse 7. Talking about the gift. What was the gift? Remember that in chapter 7, verse 7? It was a bribe. A bribe destroyeth the heart. Okay? Now, folly, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool are swallowed up in himself. That was Ecclesiastes 10, 12. There's a self-justifying disobedience. Who's a good example of that in the Old Testament? Self-justifying disobedience. Saul. Saul. That's right. He was told to destroy the Amalekites, right? 
And he didn't do that. And then Samuel comes and you didn't disobey God. He said, oh, no, I saved the best for a sacrifice. I didn't, I didn't disobey God. I modified what God said. <laughs> you ever do that? I modified God's command. I saved the best. That's not what God told him to do, is it? No. Uh, and madness leads to this inclination of violence. Saul again. What was Saul trying to do to David? Trying to pin him to the wall with a javelin. Hi, David. Play the harp for a while. You know? Play faster, David. Okay, okay. <laughs> it, you know? Um, he was trying to kill David. And he chased him around. And he tried to kill him. Okay? Pride. Talks about uh, madness of pride. Sam, uh, David did something that was prideful. What did he do? He numbered the people, didn't he? Why did he do that? That was pride. My army's big enough. I got all these men, hundreds of thousands of them from Israel and Judah. I got all these men. I can defeat any enemy. Who gives the victory to David? God does. So God, what did God do to David? He took away 70,000 people. 70,000. An army division is 25 to 30,000. So he lost about three divisions of soldiers here. Just like that. God took them away. Now, let's see your pride and all your numbers. You know, God gives the victory. So the problem with our fallen nature is universal. And this is evil, this, this madness kind of is in everybody's heart. Not as bad as the, my examples, but we all have a little bit of it. It's permanent, lifelong. It characterizes the inner man. What do we battle with all the time? Sin, our carnal man. When we got saved, the carnal man didn't move out. It just moved over. Holy Spirit came in. And the more space you give it, the more it pushes the old man out or against the wall or somewhere he gets pushed out he's not effective anymore but this this inner sin affects all of us Romans 3 23 for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God and then he says after this they go to the dead Ecclesiastes 12 7 look at that for a second Ecclesiastes 12 7 then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. What is man made of? Dust. What was Adam made out of? Dust. Did God go to a, li a laboratory and buy all these chemicals and stuff and, you know, some synthetic stuff and other stuff? Make man? No. Made him out of the dust of the earth. Made him. Now, in verse number 4 through 6, talks about where there's life, there's hope. Let's look at verse number 4. For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For him that is joined to all the living. Him that is alive, joined to all the living. That's what that means. There is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. And Kathleen said, 
Maybe I'm in, but she's not really sure if she's going to say amen or not because she hasn't seen the rest of my notes here. <laughs> okay. okay. The first part of this verse um, doesn't deny the afterlife, but implies that it can't be uh, enjoyed in retrospect. Next several verses talks about that. When we're gone, what can't we do? We can't enjoy this life anymore, can we? But we'll be in heaven. That's great. That's wonderful. I'm looking forward, but we can't enjoy what we're doing now. We can't finish what we're doing now. We can't even start what we're going to do now. A lot of things, okay? So that's, that's the, the message here. But it has this proverb here in the second part of that verse. The lion is the mightiest of beasts and was admired in the ancient world. Uh, the Assyrians loved lions. They had lions everywhere. Uh, men were compared to lions. You can read the Old Testament how the warriors were lion-like. Uh, they compare them to lions, admired. The dog, plug ears, Kathleen. The dog, however, was seen as a pest and a scavenger and considered unclean. Sorry about you can unplug your ears now. Sorry about that. Yeah. Bring them to my house and fix me up, huh? Okay. So this is a, a proverbial speech here showing that life is to be preferred to death. A mean, miserable, contemptible person living, who for his despicable condition may be compared to a dog, is preferred to the most generous man that ever lived, but is dead. You get that proverb there? It's better to be alive than dead. Okay? Verse 5, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. The hope of verse 4 is explained here by the opportunity we have in this present life to consider the fact of life, uh, fact of death. God gives us this time while we're alive to do what? To accept Christ as our Savior and, and, and make arrangements, if you will, for our afterlife, Amen. for after death. What's going to happen to us? That's the question we ask. Where are you going to go when you die? Nobody really cares because I ain't dead yet. Well, you will care, but when you do, it'll be too late unless you have made a decision to accept Christ as your Savior. Amen. So this verse is saying that, while we have this opportunity in this present life, we need to consider death. And he's been constantly urging us to do this. Evaluate life. Make some decisions. There's no description given beyond the grave except that there's this warning of judgment. The dead know not anything. In death, all earthly experiences cease. They have no earthly reward. Reward is usually thought of as the end product of one's life. If you're a great worker or do whatever you did, uh, you, you have this reward. You have the things that you accomplished in life. That's your reward, um, among other things. But that's, that's what he's talking about. You, you've done something. You look back on your life and say, I've, I've, done a, I've done great things for God. I've, I've worked for God. I've been faithful. That's your reward. And you'll get a reward for that, won't you? Yes, you will. 
Okay, so, uh, but death removes us from that realm. We can't do that anymore. The memory of them is forgotten, it says. I've lost a lot of relatives and fellows I knew in the Army and at WTA. I've known folks that have died. I've known some great guys. Do I think about them? Just once in a while, they may cross my mind, you know, when something may bring them up. But usually they're, they're forgotten, especially as, uh, as time goes on, doesn't it? It's sad, but it happens, and that's what he's saying. They're gone. We try to keep them alive sometimes, sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's, I, I think about them once in a while, but, you know, my, my, uh, my, my brother died in 09, my dad died in 13. I think about them, but, you know, they're gone now. And it's, it gets hard. It's, it's hard not to look at their pictures and bring up those memories. It's, you do that sometimes, but they're not here anymore. The living just forgets the dead after a while. Uh, you go to all these cemeteries, probably Lindsay's a good example. They've probably got graves there that are a couple hundred years old, maybe. Does anybody visit them anymore? No, they're just there. You know, no one, no one knows about them. So according to this verse, despite the promises and memorials, they are eventually out of mind. Psalm 31.12 says, I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. So it's sad, but that's what he's saying here. We're gonna, our lives are going to end, and eventually no one's going to really, remember old so-and-so, what was his name? You know, yeah, don't talk about you after you're gone and, and, and remember things about you. And, and I've, I've done that a lot uh, back, well, not, not much anymore, but, you know, back when I was working and stuff, and you guys did it. You know, what they did is still there, or their name's still there on something. You kind of, oh, yeah, I remember him, you know. Uh, that's what we do, but after time goes by, and we're not around anymore, we just tend to forget them. Verse 6, also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have there any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Among the earthly experiences that will cease are love and hate. The word envy here is a general expression for their, their passions. People that were passionate about things, that's gone now. They have no more portion. We discussed this a few times now. What's a, what's a person's portion? What's a man's portion? That's the life he gives. And I, reckon, I likened it to a, just a timeline, infinitely long, but we got a portion here. From this date that we're born till this date that we're gone, that's our portion. That's what we have to deal with. That's right. what we have to work with. We don't even know how long it is, do we? Right. No. So, but that's our portion he's talking about here. They have no more portion. The measure of joy and satisfaction through daily life, that's our portion. But one day that's going to be over. And we can't get it back. The preacher repeatedly warns that life cannot be recaptured after death. Uh, I used to think in heaven I'd be some kind of a, I'd have a job or something. I'd be some kind of a, you know, be a fleet manager for chariots. I don't know what I'd do. I'd work on, you know, I'd have this job up there I'd do, but I probably won't. <laughs> I'm not going to work up. I don't know what I'm going to do. But we had these, these things. I'm just going to keep doing what I did on earth. No, you won't. Who's going to want to work up there when Jesus is around? 
Oh, we got a chariot down. We got to go fix that. <laughs> or something, you know. Here we go with the service truck. And we fly over there and we fix. You know, I have these thoughts. What's it going to be like? I'm not going to be able to do the things I used to do. I can't do them now. But, you know, what we were is gone. And he's saying, we have this life, this portion to enjoy those things. So that's about the strongest statement yet about that, that after life is gone, after it's passed, there's no portion anymore. It's permanent. Verse 7, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, and God now accepteth thy works. The exhortation from the preacher is to go. Go thy way. Eat thy bread with joy and drink thy wine with a merry heart, and God now accepteth thy works. Go. What he had previously in, in, in earlier chapters kind of gave as advice, now it's, a, it's, an, it's an urgent call. Go. Do what you're going to do. Keep doing it. Live your life. Be happy. Be content. Okay? You must give yourself to a contented life. We don't get contented by waiting for the government to give us a contentment. Uh, money or whatever it is, you know, we don't get that. You got to work at being contented, don't you? Yeah, you have to work at that. That's what you, everybody aims for. I want to be content. I want to enjoy what I do and have my family and all that. That's what I want, and we got to work for that. We got to work to get it. Got to work to keep it. That's contentment. That's that's our lives. But he says, go and do it. Take care of it. God now accepteth thy works. The basis of contentment is that God has already approved what you do. He's not talking about working your way to heaven. He's talking about being content and working towards that. God approves that. God approves that. This doctrine, this, uh, this, this part of this verse is almost uh, uh, Pauline in this doctrine. It's not talking about um, justification by faith, but he's talking about Working towards contentment, and, and he's, he'll, later on he'll say, and, and pleasing God and having faith. That's contentment. When I was lost, and I didn't have contentment, maybe you didn't either, because there was something there that was empty, that was missing. There was a, there was a God-sized hole right about here that needed to be filled, and only God could fill that. So when I got saved and matured a little bit, contentment, I understood what that meant. Amen. Was everything great, no problems? Yeah, <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> you know, we all go through our trials and stuff that God leads us through, but we're still content. Amen. We're content through our trials because we know God's trying us for a purpose. I have a message on that. But... Uh, He's a, he, he does these things for a purpose. Right. We receive contentment as God's gift. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 13 in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, oops, verse 13. And also every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is what? 
the gift of God. Amen. The person we have, what we have, is the gift of God. Not only our salvation, but our very lives. What we do is the gift of God. And what do you do with the gift? Receive it or reject it. Same thing with any other gift, huh? No, I don't want that. Or yeah, I do want that. So our contentment is a gift of God. We can be discontent when our carnal or whatever other influences influence us. We get discontented with what we have. And then we start having problems, don't we? The believer is not struggling for acceptance. He's already accepted Folks that are working their way to, to heaven or for salvation, what are they, they're trying to be accepted. They want to do the things they got to do to get to heaven. And that's their idea of acceptance, isn't it? I've got to do all these things or believe this thing or, or whatever it is I got to do. Get baptized, do this, join you. All these things I got to do to be accepted. That's what they're worried about, being accepted. And once I'm accepted, then I can go to heaven. That's, that's not true. Verse number 8, and we'll probably finish up here. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. White garments and anointing oil uh, made life more comfortable uh, in the hot climate of the Middle East. Uh, I tried that ointment, but it was ended up being something other than the ointment. It was kind of hair dissolver or something. It just... I wasn't comfortable. Anyways, yeah, they put the stuff in their hair to make it more comfortable, and where white, it reflects the heat. So they, they're more comfortable. That's what he's saying here. Be comfortable. Do the things you got to do to be comfortable in this life. We'll stop here, and I'll pick up again in verse number 9. Say a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the lesson. <laughs> Father, pray God you'd, you'd bless pastors you preach, Lord. Pray God you'd, you'd bring folks in safely, Lord, even though the roads are icy. Father, and just give them safety, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.